When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing, reappraising, genre-hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is Be Real. I'm Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Mallard. We're here in January 2021 to talk about the film work of an American legend. Is that fair to say, Noah? A hero as well. <laughs> we are not afraid to editorialize and, mor- and moralize Dolly Parton as a hero. I think her backing of the coronavirus research puts her into hero camp. There we go. And of course, we're talking about the one, the only Dolly Parton. Dolly turns 75, what a wonderful birthday, on uh, on January 19th here. So we're going to look back at uh, three of her major acting roles. We're going to talk about 9 to 5, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and Steel Magnolias. And a running thing that we'll have to deal with, too, during this podcast is that every time Chance says the word whorehouse, his face, like, scrunches up. <laughs> I really want to say best little sex workers domicile in texas that's certainly not as catchy no it's not has dolly parton had sort of a renaissance of late or have people like us just maybe not been paying attention what do you think i think she's almost had two renaissances you know i mean i think she had her play like in the 90s where people kind of reckoned with like her contributions to country music writ large uh, leading to her induction into the like country music hall of fame and sort of be on that circuit. And then I think in the mid 2010s to the present, she's kind of had a renaissance just in the mainstream of music people enjoying how her influence is like apparent within all genres of pop music. Uh, And then how she's sort of a, you know, at the end of the day, kind of her choices and causes that she's gotten behind have really proven her to be like a feminist icon uh, with very little parallel. Sure. There's this great podcast uh, called Dolly Parton's America that I was listening to that came out, I think, like a year ago, where they talked about how her approval rating among incredibly diverse groups of people is just so high. And part of that is kind of, you know, marketing and corporate branding speak. But there's, like, how are you going to find a bad thing to say about Dolly Parton? Um, it is really interesting, too, because she does represent, you know, when people talk about, like, what is it that keeps, like, the American experiment together? Like, she does kind of have a, some appreciation for some constitutional thing that keeps this population in one space. Like, she is very much about speaking her mind. She's very much about her privacy. In all of these movies, she wields a gun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's she's a very American icon, like even if you don't necessarily lean into one thing over the other. Yeah, it wields a gun she's, as well she's as... She's for profit, too. She's a, a, a capitalist in every one of these movies and really just as an icon. Sure. Dolly World is very much a capitalist venture. For sure. Um, or Dollywood, sorry. Um, yeah, wields a gun in these movies as well as one-of-a-kind sexuality and you know, represents this sort of interesting, thorny, maybe we can try to pull it apart, maybe we're not the right people, like what the, what, what the South at its best or at its worst means in these, in these films. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's one of the great songwriters of the last 50 years. Songs like Jolene, Hard Candy Christmas, I Will Always Love You, Island in the Stream, Here You Come Again. Um, 
you know, if you care, she's an EGOT nominee. She's just been at art and entertainment a long time with unbelievable success. What do you make of her as a screen presence before we jump in here? I mean, you basically know what you're getting with Dolly Parton, I would say, in all three of these movies. She doesn't have maybe as much range acting-wise as she does musically. Uh, She's sort of in a very specific space. Mm -hmm. But that is a very complicated and warm but also world-weary character, uh, which is not uninteresting to watch a few times in a row. Totally. I... I kept being struck by how her screen presence has this undeniable component of being dolled up, almost to the point of posterization, of course, like something still, something uh, caricaturish. And then she moves and she speaks and you see how much energy she has. Yeah, she has like the sort of a sitcom sensibility to her where You know from just the way she's communicating what is subtext and most of it's subtext. Like she's saying the things that she has to say to be polite, mostly to the men around her and like the women who need reassurance. Like many of her songs, the movie career kind of hinges and yet evolves on this idea of like foiling men and winning respect from men and and whether she's up against, like you said... um, Sam Shepard or or Burt Reynolds um, or movies we didn't watch today where she's with Sly Stallone in um, Rhinestone or James Woods of all people in Straight Talk. Like there is something about like, yes, I will put my cosmetic self forth and I'll be the first one to draw attention to that. But after that, it's going to be respect and love from you, please. Nothing else will do. Yes, absolutely. Um, and she's always in these characters, too. And I wonder how much like the scripts ended up being sort of tailored to her sensibility. Uh, but she never really wavers on the things that she says she'll do. Uh, mm-hmm. As we kind of pivot into nine to five here to start us out. You know, the idea that she says multiple times, like, if you go X far, I will go get my gun. <laughs> and... They do, and she does. And that is incredible to me. But that's the truth in of the Dolly Parton character, I think, in all three of these movies. So before we jump in, we just want to say that Be Real is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, and you can find other terrific shows like the Playlist Podcast, The Fourth Wall, and The Discourse on this network, wherever you get your shows, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Please give us a nice rating if you are so inclined. All right, Noah, should we go to 1980 and 9 to 5? I would love that. Dolly Parton is a a major music star at this point. Oh, yeah. And, and has fine. been for 15, 20 years. <laughs> 13, 13-ish. Um, but yeah, and then finds herself next to Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin in a a movie written by Patricia Resnick and directed by Colin Higgins, who had written the screenplay for Harold and Maude and directed Foul Play. And um, you want to synopsize it? Three female employees of a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot find a way to turn the tables on him. The movie opens in just a killer way with a killer song. It's it's a great idea because it's a banger and then it kind of sets the mood for the movie, which is like kind of an outrageous romp. Right. And you kind of need to be in that headspace as you see Jane Fonda sort of navigate through urban Los Angeles to get to her job. This movie has like an interesting 15 to 20 minute opening where it seems more like a dramedy before the film, I think sort of for as a viewer, like euphorically unhinges and you meet these, these three women. 
Um, Jane Fonda plays Judy, and she's sort of going against type. I mean, uh, against the the bombshell sure. Hanoi Jane uh, exercise icon. She's yeah, this got is these... more like early, later Jane Fonda, where she's like uptight and like you know, if a copy machine is not working properly, she will like just lose it. Right. She's got this really like silly kind of church hat on and Lily Tom yes. is like has a great line about like, yeah, I'll show her where the locker is, but we're gonna need another one for the hat. Um <laughs> Lily Tom's Lily Tomlin is is wry and self possessed and trying to yeah. um she's well, in she's management the... and trying to work her way into upper management. Well, I don't even think she's in management. I think she's just kind of their ceremonial leader because she's been there the longest. And she's okay. trying to break into a true authority role uh, somewhere equal or, you know, just slightly under Dabney Coleman, who is the dad – who is Tom Hanks' dad from um, You've Got Mail. Mm. Uh, and basically reprising an early – this is just earlier on in his corporate career before he got <laughs> into the book game uh, – but yeah, so he she directly reports to him, uh, and then it's Jane Fonda's first day. She's a divorcee who's finally like back out in the workforce uh, as a means of sustaining herself. And then Dolly Parton, of course, is like the long suffering secretary. Sure, but in the very Dolly Parton way, like doesn't really wear it as suffering. I mean. When no. we meet her, she's wearing a neck a gold necklace around her neck that says Dora Lee, her name. And she's got kind of a rhinestone St. Patrick's Day thing going on. In trying to stay in the job basically is like, look, I'll fend you off to a point, but if you tell people we're sleeping together, which he does, lie to people and tell them that, um, soon as you said, she's gonna get that gun. Look, I got a gun out there in my purse. And up to now, I've been forgiven and forgetting because of the way I was brought up. But I tell you one thing. If you ever say another word about me or make another indecent proposal, I'm going to get that gun of mine. And I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Don't think I can't do it. She is going to get that gun. She's good at laying down the line there. But that's not to say that Dabney Coleman's advances some points playfully, some points pretty aggressively, uh, 100% inappropriate, to be quite clear. Uh, are, yeah, it's it's kind of a sickening situation that she's in. And the movie knows that, too, that like at some point this is going to come to a head. Uh, so there's kind of that terror in it, too. Um, there's a little bit of that drama-ness, and we're just really talking about the first 20 minutes here, of, you know things kind of going awry and people like getting fired for dubious reasons, yep. you know, and having no job security and just like how horrible these women's lives are at the mercy of this guy who's failing his way to the top by just having a, a hardworking staff underneath him. Mm-hmm. And then they introduce marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> After not getting the promotion that she was promised, Lily Tomlin is sort of licking her wounds at home and her son suggests that she smoke a joint of his, uh, which is almost something that like won't be as comfortable as a plot device until like Meryl Streep tries to do it in uh, It's Complicated 20 years later. Uh, but she like then has this magical joint in her pocket, which leads to like one of the weirdest like animated fantasy sequences in this kind of like working girl genre of movie that I've ever seen. And like, it goes on for some time. Like an, oh, I would yeah. say an act of the movie is the fantasies. Absolutely. We get, they all basically after Dabney Coleman's bad behavior comes to a head with the, the failed promotion that she was promised um, like attacking Dora Lee essentially on the floor. Of yeah, ending office. up on the floor, and then the wife. The only thing that saves is the wife walking in, right? And then screaming at Jane Fonda for not being able to operate the copier. That's what it takes for them to hang out, smoke this joint, and then all have various murder, t- torture, comedic murder, torture fantasies about what they would do to Dabney Coleman. You're right, um, and all in classic cinema genres 
Yes. There's You have uh, like the film noir one, you have the Western one, and then you have like the Disney uh animated bird on my shoulder thing. When I was going back and looking at reviews or just like seeing what different critics or friends had said on Letterboxd, there's like a couple different like school there are some people who are like the point where this becomes an outrageous heightened comedy is the point where it um you know doesn't make good on the complex setup that it was setting up but i actually would disagree i do not think that i think part of what this movie is arguing especially 40 years in the rear view is like does anybody really need to explain to you like why it's so bad and why it's so needling to be treated the way this boss treats these women i would argue that that one of the best qualities of the movie is that it realizes it doesn't have to be a discursive movie that after right. being treated in this fashion um what's left is a sense of wanting some real retribution and there's no part of the comedy that follows where i'm like worried about the why of it all or that i want them to have like we need to have a discussion about how me as a management and you as a receptionist are coming from different places on the socioeconomic ladder when it comes to our feminism that doesn't need to be explained they are fucking pissed and hijinks ensue yes yeah i think what separates it really from you know this very sort of heavy-handed office allegory or whatever and making it a true sort of satire of this system in place and what makes it urgent in the in 2021 here too about uh, gender politics in the workplace is just the level of rage. You know, it's yeah. one thing to show with humor that these women are being abused, but it's also another thing to give them the agency to exercise that rage. And then I think even more maturely, it puts them in a system where they're so afraid of what could pot- potentially happen to them and be the fallout of some little mistake or some acting out the way a white man would not be punished for, you know, at- essentially uh, attempted murdering their boss. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really interesting the the, the, fake fear, the paranoia that kind of fuels the back half of this movie when they've really not done anything wrong. And the thing that they have done wrong is actually good on the whole. Sure. And so after some incredible, let's talk about Dolly's murder fantasy first, because it just involves hunting him in the best way and i think and then also sexually harassing him she's got a great line where in that dolly parton repartee i can't do her voice we should i'm not gonna try um chance doesn't have a dolly i don't have a dolly if you have a no dolly, gene hackman no dolly. Some, if you or someone you know has a good dolly or gene hackman impression email be real guys <laughs> at gmail.com <laughs> I just want to check your bod, she says, when she has him hogtied. Well, it's the same scene, but flipped in power dynamic that he has with her in the real world in the previous acts. Yep. Almost line for line, which is super interesting, too. That the, I mean, the movie's just clever enough about things that be you know it's like that stupid geico commercial where the one person's like oh my car because it's like fine and they have good insurance and the other guy's like oh my car right but they're saying the same things it's the same mm-hmm. kind of principle here and i think that this one's funny because it doesn't sound like the dialogue's so stock that it was forced yeah and then they lily tomlin is so apoplectic and maybe still kind of in the days of the 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 weed murder fantasy that she, yeah. <laughs> that she um does put rat poison in the boss's coffee by that accident she didn't mean to leading to right. some hospital mistaken well, there's identity. a there's a chekhov's uh broken backed chair right early on in the in the movie. So, yeah, Dabney Coleman slips out of his chair. They think they accidentally poisoned him on purpose. Uh, and then, yeah, there's like the whole 
There's a whole sequence stealing and replacing a body. Uh, yep. Pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, I mean, it's just a joke, but at the same time, the whole thing of, of Violet, who is so, she's hungry for advancement in this corporate structure, and the whole thing of her, like, pretending to be a doctor, and then realizing that she, in this coat with this fake name tag, she has, there's a moment where, like, she's being questioned by this orderly at the hospital when they're trying to get out of there with what they think is the boss's dead body, and she's like, wait, I am a doctor, so why the hell am I talking to you? <laughs> It's great. I mean, they try on these different roles that I think the movie like has a lot of fun with and shows that ultimately characters like this would succeed if the circumstances around them were, you know, had them favored at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's elevated and, and crazy. And what they do after that is they eventually like do kidnap him and put him in this like insane i think it's supposed to be like used for mountain climbing uh what's the hybrid of like a sort of tantric sex machine like and then whatever else they could find at the home depot but they buy it at a a, sporting goods store right right they yeah they go to like rei too on the way back and then you know with a few carabiners they tether him to the ceiling and then so he's got enough distance to like go to bed and like go to the bathroom but and then they can they have the garage door opener because Lily Tomlin is super proficient installing garage door openers that right. like suck him back like reverse Spider Man like onto the ceiling if he's misbehaving. Uh, so when he tries to club Dolly Parton to death uh, while she makes him a peanut butter sandwich, she can get him sucked back to the ceiling. It's incredible. <laughs> um, it's yeah, really funny. It, it's just there's just a lot of like great slapstick um and it also i just i love that it avoids like a lot of the pitfalls that you think might be coming from a dramedy like this i was like how long before we meet i was watching it with sarah and i was like how long before we meet dolly parton's like lame ass husband and or how long are we gonna spend is with like there'd be a whole plot line in here where like jane fonda has to wonder if she's gonna take back her ex and the that Dolly's guy's husband dick sucks <laughs> but it's funny that dick is he's not really in the movie and the the scene where he asked to be taken back kind of comes out of nowhere and resolves in some incredible slapstick where he sees um dabney coleman hanging from the ceiling and assumes it's some sort of s&m thing to which jane fonda you know is trying to see you know she's fine on her own now and she says if i want to do m&m i'll do it <laughs> Yeah. Into all kinds of M&Ms. I do like that all the Dolly Parton movies kind of have that moment of joking about like people's sexual kinks and not like in that mean of a way. No. Just like I never knew this about you. Like and we can get into it in a second, but the in the best little whorehouse, that scene where he's just like, in Austin, you can pay anybody to tickle your ass with a feather. Tongue. You bags. know, that's <laughs> like Tangiers. <laughs> Uh, I love that each one of these movies, uh, and even in Steel Magnolias, they kind of have that moment. Uh, but yeah, I love it. I think that was so funny. It's true. Just to see this man tethered to the ceiling and think that it was something with with his clothes on. Right. <laughs> to think it was erotic is pretty funny. I wanted to talk really quick about Sterling Hayden showing up at the end. Sterling Hayden, who you'd know from Dr. Strangelove and The Godfather, um, he plays, like, the chairman of the board. He's, like, dressed like Colonel Sanders, and he comes in (laughs) for, like, a spot check, um, you know, the day after Dabney Coleman, like, extricates himself, and he's like, you ladies are finally going to get what you deserve for hog-tying me to the ceiling, and that's when uh, Sterling Hayden comes in and sees all the good things that they've done around the office, including implementing, like, childcare, job-sharing, like, all... I... It was a little sad, as you said. I can't remember if you said this on the pod or before we started, but like all like bills that Kirsten Gillibrand like tried to get passed in 2012 is like right. the stuff that they did in this. I'm fictitious. all in favor of like the two shifted workday 
where like some people come in early if it's more convenient and leave yeah. early, and then some people come in late and leave late. I love that. Super progressive smart. employment stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, the best joke though about that whole sequence is that like at the end of praising her, Lily Tomlin, for like having installed all these new things, uh, like the big boss whispers to Dabney Coleman, like, we got to talk about that equal pay though later. That's like a bridge too far. <laughs> right. Well, and that's right after he points out, um, you know, having on-site childcare, he says like, oh yeah, that's what we did um, during the war when women were in, in the workforce and this sort of total war economy. And I felt like that line was really telling because, you know, we watch a movie like this from 1980 and it's kind of, as straight white cis men, it's really easy to look at it and, and be like, they're kind of naively of like, there's this long arc of history where like men learn about like what they should do. And, da, 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 da. <laughs> and the Sterling Hayden line, it's like, that's bullshit. Like we had progressive work policies 40 years before this. And I'm also going to whisper to my friend that like, I don't want there to be equal pay. Like you're basically, I love that the movie points out, like if you're going to be shitty, Every time you're making a choice, it's not made out of ignorance. It's that every time you choose to be shitty, and I think it's great yeah. to see a movie do that. It's society's fault that this movie's timeless, uh, but that there is wisdom in looking back at something like this. Uh, I think it makes it feel like a good watch. Uh, just three great leads. At the end, they're dressed in red, white, and blue. I enjoy yeah. that. I like when they're what they're 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 chosen munchies. Uh, Dora Lee's eating ribs and Lily Tomlin's Violet is eating olives. <laughs> it's, it's good shit. Um, it is. Let's tell people how we rate movies on this show and then rate 9 to 5. On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories. A good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care! Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, master. Got all that? Time for a rating. What a way to rate a movie. This is good, good. I enjoyed this movie immensely. Um, I also, it's hard to describe like the sensation that I just don't get that often watching new movies of like, what is it doing? I can't believe it's doing this. Like, and yeah, this movie just goes in uh, like an absurdist direction without ever like totally like losing track of the ground or it's like relatively simple, powerful message. And all three leads are really funny. And Dabney Coleman is really funny. He's totally game for the way this movie is going to punish him. Um, you know, punish him like a wet bandit, basically. Um, <laughs> it's just, I think it's really good. Um, and I'll think credit too to, uh, Colin Higgins, um, who directed our next movie too, uh, has a way with, um, letting a movie get unhinged in the best way. I totally agree with you about all of that. Um, I think this is like a perfectly positioned movie in the canon of movies like Big and Working Girl and Secret to My Success and all that sort of like people living in the city and surviving workplace stuff through their own sheer will. Um she was swimming with sharks. Uh, another right. one in there too. But yeah, this is great. This is a classic film. Uh, good, good for sure. Before we jump two years ahead to Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, I want to tell you really, really quick about the Be Real Patreon. Waiting for you right now at the Patreon 
for Be Real Podcast is a mini pod on the Pelican Brief that we recorded after our latest watch party. You will find some previews of forthcoming full episodes if you want to watch along with us. And you can find from the beginning of January our streaming recommendations from uh, before and slightly after the holidays. Um, $3 a month. If you like Be Real and you want more of it, we'd love you to subscribe. Noah, am I missing anything? I would love for everyone to be a real friend. Haha. <laughs> and... Yes, support what we've been doing and access recommendations and exclusive content. Awesome. We'll keep you updated as we go. Thanks, everyone. The superlative sex worker's domicile south of Oklahoma. (laughs) You're just offended by Texas now, too? (laughs) Well, come on. No, that's me. Um, So 1982, based on a stage play. Noah, what's this movie about? A town's sheriff and regular patron of a historic whorehouse fights to keep it running when a television reporter targets it as the devil's playhouse. This movie... I just have to... One critique on the IMDb (laughs) synopsis here is that at no time does Dom DeLuise call (laughs) the cat house... The Devil's Playhouse. The Devil's Playhouse is, in fact, a quote stolen from the Music Man. Uh, I mean, to which this underlying IP owes uh, a, a fair amount of respect Absolutely and credit. A body Music Man. The sheriff you mentioned is Burt Reynolds, who plays Ed Earl Dodd. And then Dolly is Mona Stangley who is the the madam of the chicken ranch in what I, the first thing I notice is she sort of like walks down the stairs for what is a pretty good, I think opening musical number. What an intro. Yeah. Yes. Which like you're, ex- you're expecting it, but it, it's still, it's got some funny lyrics. What is it called? Just a little pissant place. Just a little piddly squatting old time country place. Ain't nothing to hide at all. Just lots of goodwill and maybe one small thrill, but there's nothing dirty going on. Lots of goodwill and maybe one small thrill. I love that shit. Yeah. Just maybe something. Incidentally, one small thrill. But Dolly Parton is very comfortable the older she gets, kind of assuming this like grand dame role. Like part of her filmography that we're not discussing is all of the Christmas movies that come later, which are basically like branded like Dolly Parton's, you know, coat of many colors. Um, Just a lot of Dolly Parton Christmas things. And she she takes on this like sort of hosty almost like Vincent Price, like, welcome to the movie, welcome to the house, welcome to Christmas. She she fits seamlessly into that role, and this is the first time, even when she's, I don't know how old she is, when she made this, like, 33. Um, there's just something <laughs> kind of perfect, even though she's, like, the same age as all the other the sex workers in the house, about, like, yeah, obviously, she's the host. This is This is Mona's place. Right. I love that you positioned her as the what vincent price is to be horror uh dolly pardon is to vaguely musical comedy yeah to basic cable christmas (laughs) it's a compliment make no mistake so the cast is also strong in this one too uh you have known lunatic and all-around annoying actor dom deluise playing (laughs) And but Melvin. also Burt Reynolds's like best friend from Cannonball Run. You right. know Burt Reynolds is like, oh sure, I'll be in that with Dolly, but you have to give Dom a part. You have to give Dom Deluise the antagonist role. And when right. I say a part, what are we even talking about with this guy? The apparently it's based on a real person, and that's just the funniest bullshit to me in the world because Melvin P. Thorpe. <sighs> I'm trying to figure out how much of this I want to talk about. This is a, one of the problems with this movie as a musical is that it's constantly forgetting it's a musical. So when... Oh, like your favorite movie, La La Land? That's right. Um, <laughs> when Ed Earl goes to Houston to visit Melvin P. Thorpe to be like, don't do this expose on the chicken ranch. And Melvin P. Thorpe is like getting dressed up as like, Captain Kangaroo meets Marquis de Lafayette. 
I'm yeah. like, wait. And then he's like, I'm going to go out there and do the news right now. And I'm like, but he hasn't, he hasn't been there. He hasn't reported anything yet. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a musical. So he just like goes out on the stage and starts talking about the Devil's Playhouse. Yeah, that's interesting. I was trying to think of like tonal comps for this movie. And I came up with Animal House meets Music Man meets Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> Sure. I'm in that. I'm into that. Because it has these like sort of long two character scenes in it with like Very all sort long. of sexual games being played back and forth. And I love that you and then maybe I was just triggered by the some of the outfits that Thorpe is wearing uh, to just being over the top and outrageous. Sure. I think the best scene in the movie and it was rewritten I think smartly for the purpose in the, in the play Mona and Ed Earl have this sort of, they like maybe hooked up 15 years ago and they have this, uh, you know, hot and cold prickly relationship. And this movie's like, no, 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 no. They need to be sleeping together so we can watch Bert and Dolly flirt for like an eight minute scene. And it is fantastic because they are just two of the silver screens, greatest flirts as she like tries to get him to wear these like tight snap on undies. Um, And then they duet on sneaking around, which is a lovely song and Burt Reynolds can carry a tune. It also clarified for me that Dolly Parton has to be one of our great make the mediocre male vocalist, like look good by singing with him. Right, yeah, she can do the harmony and he can carry the, the tune in a paper bag. Sing it to me, honey. <laughs> I like fancy, frilly things. High heel shoes and diamond rings. Ragtime bands and western swing and sneaking around with you. Well, I like beer and rodeos. Detective books <laughs> and dominoes. Football games and Cheerios. Cheerios. And sneaking around with you. Sneaking around with you. Going around. No, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, they have a lot of great chemistry. There's that great scene with her and him by the fire, um, where the sort of the the plan is hatched. Yeah. Um, and then I think the movie gets its like Animal House bona fides from a pretty funny, like almost like Bruce Blues Brothers <laughs> car chase level. You know, a uh, film crew goes through the whorehouse uh, exposing these uh, Texas A&M Aggies who are uh, in the process with the, the various residents of the aforementioned house, including a, a state senator. Yeah, the traditions of the chicken ranch are not morally shocking to me, but informationally shocking. Um, we have, we haven't talked about the long prologue to this movie where it's just like generation after Jim neighbors, the deputy sheriff, like narrates the movie and that sucks. Like, come when on. When it came to the chicken ranch, the, I do we, have a Jim neighbors. We don't need Jim neighbors narrating this movie, but there's this long prologue about how like generation after generation of East Texas man, like took his son to the chicken ranch and the wives were at home being like, thank God. God, this that my husband and children are gone, which was that's just wild. That I just love the in that like funny southern drawl to the and every time they came by, they washed them for chlamydia, and the <laughs> gentleman thought that was the best part. <laughs> that really, that really got me to chuckle. This is a it's a very sex positive movie sure. that like just skates past being you know very anti-feminist toward like women who choose to be wives and mothers by just being goofy um but yeah I'm like there's this one of the nuts unexplored things of the movie is that like ed earl has this like in-town wife who he like sees once to cover up the fact that he's in a long-term relationship with Mona. Um, yeah, he's got like a beard wife. Insane that there's a 
beard wife in this movie who he's like having dinner with her and her son and like that character's given nothing. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting too, if we're poking at this one a little bit, that none of the women in the whorehouse have any personalities. Like I was expecting it to be like a little bit more like a league of their own or something where you have them all with their like small dramas that they're going through. Wow. This is all breaking down and wow. Like they do have that really incredible song at the end about like, what will I do after this? Hard candy Christmas. Um, Yes, A dolly staple. A dolly staple. But ultimately like they we don't really know them well enough because they're basically just it's the the four four main characters and then a humongous supporting cast of dancers and singers right uh, and it would be it's weird that there's no like supporting characters like other than maybe Jim neighbors uh it's a little troubling like the the mammy character uh, Not good. in the house uh I mean she has the most character of anybody else in the movie's defense um but yeah otherwise there's not a ton going on and i almost think the movie's crucial misstep is trying to make it more about the political system that would shut this down and less about the women actually at the house sure yeah you're talking about Teresa merritt as jewel by the way we should give some credit and um yeah but it's unmistakable that she's like the mammy character and it sucks um but yeah these i don't know these movies this is where it edges up to playing with this version of the cinematized south where when you when it does that it's playing with fire um because of you know the ways in which jewel is reminiscent of Hattie McDaniel and Gone with the Wind. And just the weird thing of um, watching the the Texas A&M football team and being like, you're telling me there was one black player on the Texas A&M team in 82? Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I don't know. Like, what do you think about these, the way these, we can talk about with Seal Magnolias too. What do you think For about sure. the way they engage with Southern mythos? I think this one, like you said, because it is in jest, gets a little bit more of a pass. I wish there was more humor related to like a self-awareness ar- around race. Yeah. You know, and I think it's a little troubling when like the one black football player ends up dancing with the one black sex yeah, worker. Exactly. Same way in the wedding in Steel Magnolias, they're like, oh yeah, there's one black couple here. Um, that's not better, guys. It's more suspicious. It's more suspicious. Yeah, it's it definitely shows its age in a way. Um, but like you said, it's so progressive on sexual politics that like even up to this year, uh, like with everything happening with OnlyFans and their payment structure sort of being corrupted by you know the the system and the forces that be and people who you know look to look to use it for their own ends i mean it's still the same thing like if people put too much scrutiny on sex workers their ability to make money will be compromised Mm -hmm. but it's a service that exists you know for a little a little thrill but not much not much actually going on because of how choosy they are with the clientele And the movie makes a good argument, too, that these people are all paying taxes. You know, this goes back to my idea of Dolly Parton as, like, a true American character where, like, she's a capitalist. And she admits early on that not only does she pay her taxes, she pays double that by giving so much back to the community as to be, like, another municipal tax just for the goodwill of the community. Uh, And I think that's really interesting and, you know – it's the same thing today. People talk about a free market, but when it comes to something that touches up on their morals, it's like, oh, well, but not that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing to me the things that Dolly Parton can pull off. It's like movies need to ask very specific things of her. Like, it was, I almost like gasp. Like, the end of this movie is like a Looney Tunes like small circle to black where she just goes, y'all come back now you hear, which 
is like a what like a throwaway cowboy restaurant catchphrase and she like makes it sing and it's so charming and i like i can't believe that she can do that and have it be interesting and engaging and so like movies need to keep giving her things that are go to her really specific talents and her facility with kitsch Sure. And it's also that that line is the narrative irony of the movie because the whorehouse, spoiler alert, does close at the end this permanently. Is true. This is true. What do you think? Like with the with the twenty twenty one smell test in play, but with our one of our great heroes at its center, what do you rate this? Oh, um, I think it's a pretty easy bad good for me, mostly because the movie feels like it's five, maybe four to five kind of long, funny, memorable scenes stapled together. Like we didn't even talk about Charles Durning, who plays the governor of Texas, in just like a hilarious like five-minute song that netted him an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Um, just tap dancing around, being funny, doing this hilarious hat trick over and over again. Um so yeah, I think the movie has like four or five really watchable scenes that are long and are otherwise like stapled to a movie where the the connective tissue and forward momentum of the movie like are not that special or impressive. Um, bad good. Ooh, I love to dance a little sidestep. Now they see me, now they don't have come and gone. And ooh, I love to sweep around a wide step. Yeah, I mean, if if you're putting on a musical like this to really be enchanted by the elaborate dance performances, then the really good music, I think you will be entertained by this. But the overarching story is both, it is both, you know, in conversation with things from today, but it also has a lot of dated 80s stuff in it and a lot of things that we are still grappling with in terms of the South and their identity there. And this movie is aware of some things without being aware of others. Uh, And both in a narrative sense too. Um, You know, the whole idea of Burt Reynolds just having to like try once and fail. And that was enough to redeem him uh, is a little lazy. So yeah, I think it's a bad good for sure. It's really funny at the end she Mona sings I will always love you directly to Ed Earl and Dolly nails it. Of course, it's one of the great American love ballads of all time, but it was very funny when she started singing, like the look on Burt Reynolds's face of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to have to shut up for the next three minutes. And I I kept being like, is he going to take verse two? He's not going to take verse two, is he? And he definitely does not. The year was 1989. The cast was large. Yeah, the cast was humongous. The Robert Harling play was a big success. Mm -hmm. It felt like a film for Steel Magnolias had to be made. Um, And of course, Steel Magnolias, a young beautician, newly arrived in a small Louisiana town, finds work at the local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold. Also, Julia Roberts has a pretty <laughs> terrible case of diabetes. TriStar Pictures presents... Well, this is it. You're finally rid of me. Sally Field. Oh, I think you'll be back every now and then. Dolly Parton. How's your family? Louis brought his girlfriend home, and the nicest thing I can say about her is all of her tattoos are spelled correctly. I'm Miss Ugh, leave me alone. Shirley MacLaine. I'm not crazy, Malin. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. Daryl Hannah. Mr. I swear to you that my personal tragedy will not interfere with my ability to do good hair. Olympia Dukakis. Looks like two pigs fighting on the blanket. Julia Roberts. I'm going to make you very happy. I want a child of my own. Your poor body has been through so much. Why? 
Why would you deliberately do this to yourself? Diabetics have healthy babies all the you time. You are special, Shelby. Time has made them close. Life. She's gonna have a baby. Go get a doctor. Has made them friends. <laughs> Steel Magnolias, the funniest movie that will ever make you cry. Yeah, we'll talk about that. All of these movies are hits, we should say. Um, oh, huge like, hits. Dolly did a great job of picking roles in the 80s. And from the YouTube clips I watched of Rhinestone today, I don't care if that movie wasn't a hit. She did a great job of picking roles. It's amazing to me that you say that all these movies were, I mean, I know it's true, but that all these movies were hits because like, Especially this one, it's hard to rewatch it and understand why. Is that fair? It just feels so incredibly of its time. Um, yes, it's it's like made in a different octave that I'm used to for these kinds of sort of like soapy dramas. Like this, this kind of project would never be developed for movies anymore because it would be far more lucrative as like a Netflix original series. Like Virgin River is this. Sure. But yeah, to make it in the key of like Cider House Rules meets Driving right. Miss like Daisy. Right, like Tennessee Williams Driving Miss Daisy kind yeah. of, yeah. And it's it feels like, don't get me, it, it feels like a play, like especially when they're doing that first like camera pan through the house where it's like, here are the kids running around, and here are the daughters, and one of them's getting married, and Sally Field is like the put-upon wife, and there's like the boys running out with the shotgun to get the things out of the trees, and they're setting up for this wedding that's happening today, question mark? Next oh, week, yeah. question to mark? No, today. Today. The whole, it's happening today. And that's one of the cool things about the movie, is that it really only takes place during like three days. Yeah, one of the funny bits of adaptation trivia is that director Herbert Ross and and Robert Harling adapting his own play, they Hollywoodized it by setting it primarily around holidays, which is such a goofy, like, you know what the American, you know what'll really help the American public find this play more accessible? If it's Christmas or Easter. Because it, it begins, like, really charmingly. And I think, like, if the movie had really kept the beautician uh, played by Daryl Hannah, who comes to town, like as your kind of narrator into this story, mm. uh, maybe you have like a little bit more of a coherent idea of, you know, what the arcs are here. Right. But then the, the movie just keeps wanting to introduce you to just one more person. Uh, just one more person, uh, which includes Sally Field. Of course, Dolly Parton, she owns the salon where some of these big scenes take place. Shirley MacLaine as like the sort of embittered neighbor. Uh, Olivia Dukakis is the embittered grandmother. Uh, or is it the other way around? Did I get it right? No, I think you got it. Yeah. Julia Roberts as she's the one getting married at the at the wedding at the beginning. Tom Skerritt as the father uh, of the bride. Fucking Sam Shepard as Dolly Parton's ne'er-do-well husband. We're recording double Shepard episodes today. Check out the Pelican Brief on Patreon. Dylan McDermott yeah. as... Dylan McDermott, yeah. As the guy, she's, as the guy uh, Julia Roberts is marrying... You got to love the idea that Julia was like, I've had Dylan McDermott. Get me Dermot Mulroney. She, she's, gotten, she's gotten both of the McDermott Ronies. I find there to be something sort of dreadful about how like loopy and aggressively it combines comedy and melodrama, if that makes sense. Like there's a lot of scenes where somebody is saying something like Daryl Hannah will be like, look at my ridiculous Christmas ornaments. And we'll like, wait, there'll be like a pause. It'll be like, is this a joke? Am I supposed to be laughing at this? And the movie's Uncle like, Frank, is this a joke? Yeah. <laughs> and I can kind of feel the movie rather forcefully being like all their funny Southern witticisms, which I, which I do enjoy. Um, and then people dying and motherhood the movie is like screaming at me like this is all part of it just take it <laughs> and i i really don't enjoy that tonal imbalance 
it's definitely like a hang movie, but it's a hang movie in which the during the hang, it's not going to be because something horrible. It's both because something horrible has happened, and it's also something horrible is going to happen going forward. And that's like a tough way to ground, like a feel good. Like I, I think I really. Thought this movie was more big chili than it is. Yes, I think it's really not big chili at all. And this is like barbershop meets ordinary people, <laughs> with that emphasis on ordinary people, <laughs> right? Um, because pretty quickly, like you're at least for me, like I was vibing with okay, there's this wedding going on, this family's insane, like something horrible is going to go wrong, and then the movie's like, oh, you think something horrible is going to go wrong? Well. Julia Roberts is going to have a diabetic fit like right here in the fucking barber chair. And that was when the movie goes from like (laughs) one genre to another. And let us speak openly. How well do you think that diabetic fit was acted? I don't, because it's so long. Like the, the fit itself like takes a while to develop. Like she's getting a little sweaty and Sally Fields like going on about whatever. And then she's like, you think she's going to pass out? And you're like, is it something in the, in the, the, like the chemicals that are in the hair stuff that she's put on? Or is she oh, upset about the wedding or like, like what, is, what's happening here? And then she's like, and then what what I couldn't get behind was the fact that like she was so out of it that she was refusing treatment. Didn't so make like sense. Sally Fields like got this glass orange juice she's trying to like throw into her mouth and swallow and she's like spitting it out so there's like orange juice everywhere and then like the women are around horrified and Dolly Parton screaming like should I call an ambulance Sally Fields saying no but like to an audience member I felt like yes would have been the safer thing to do in that moment uh but it's nuts and then like to have like a scene like that which is like pretty traumatic to see to then have the rest of the movie kind of hang on a character who's like, well, my diabetes isn't that bad. Like I could probably be fine if I like had a kid or uh, or two. And then be like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, didn't you see that scene where like you, your personality changed and like, you were in complete denial. And then the movie kind of like hinges its plot on, okay, Julia Roberts is a kid. People are like, that's great. You had a kid, but now you need a kidney transplant. And now your mom's going to give you a kidney transplant. And now people are kind of upset and worried about that. And then it works. And then, like, it doesn't work. (laughs) Shelby, Julia's character, Shelby, is not a very well... I don't understand her motivations. For someone who makes the, the pivotal choice of the entire film, which is essentially to become a mother and die, which is what affects the dynamics of this entire social circle. I don't really understand why she did it. There's something like, and forgive me if this is insensitive, but there's something like a little pro-lifey about this movie. Of course. Like she had to have kids. Yeah, got to procreate so hard I'm going to die. Yeah, she like just couldn't be a woman in the world and feel satisfied unless she gave birth to a child, even if it killed her. And, right. like, that's such a weird – and that we're all kind of watching this, like, car crash unfold in slow motion, including characters like Sally Field who are like, no, what are you doing that for? Like, that's a, a – don't do that. You don't have to do that. Right. And then, like, having that thrown out, it's kind of the main intention of the movie, which is Julia Roberts' desire to have children, and then everyone else's sort of reaction to it. I don't know if like a lot of these characters make a ton of sense beyond, you know, the greater calling of like being a parent or whatever and continuing your lineage and like making your husband happy or whatever. Like what is the greater thing at stake for these people? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's the thing that doesn't, that doesn't resound super well. The final notes of the movie are Daryl Hannah finally has her baby. And it's sort of just like, again, it's like the movie sort of yelling at you, like, this is all part of womanhood in this one specific sphere. Um, Right. But I don't know how much has been done to 
create detail for that sphere. Actually, you know what it is? It's that the movie is coming from a time and place where that sphere is assumed to be mainstream to the audience. Just like moms and daughters will get it, I think is what this movie is relying on. And I don't think that's true anymore. Pretty amazing considering most of the production crew is all men. Of course. I think the best performances in the movie are... Dolly Parton and Olympia Dukakis because they are having the most fun and I think that's what I really want out of this social group some of the Dollyisms I I didn't find any evidence of this but like if you've ever heard her like give an interview or like go on Carson and and flirt and talk and say various maxims it just seems like she wrote some of these and you know what even if that's not true it's perfect character writing then because when she says i can usually spot a bottle job at 20 paces um that's just that's what i want out of my dolly plays a hairdresser character but i wish the whole movie i mean you comped barbershop i wish the whole movie was in the salon yeah you know i wish there was less stuff at the house the house is so boring Right. You know, I mean, we love like, you know, house movies, at least here in my apartment. You love uh, house movies. Haunted houses, funny houses, houses being restored and or mm. renovated. We're up for anything. But this one, it's like <laughs> the house is such a character or should be such a character. But really, it's just like, oh, look at this beautifully designed Southern style home. I do think, though, this movie has like one of the most iconic like self-aware melodrama scenes when sally field has that monologue about how angry she is that julia roberts is dead and olympia dukakis takes shirley mclean by the shoulders and says here hit her (laughs) yeah i just wish that it's such a good it's such a good turn it's i wish that scene wasn't attached though to like a like a Facebook argument about how heaven works between <laughs> Sally Field and and uh, Daryl Hannah. Well, before we had Facebook, we had Steel Magnolias. That's right. Mm-hmm. Chance, I have to say this. I know this is a classic movie. I know that people love this movie. I think it's a bad, bad. I think it's pretty easy bad, bad for me. I did not enjoy watching it. Okay, as long as I'm not... You know, impaired in some way. No, I think... I have uh, a heart. I want people to be happy. I love families and things. I'm not just some, like... Noah Ballard loves things. Elitist liberal slime who doesn't have any openness to these kinds of hang movies. But the characters aren't there. Yeah. Or, I mean, we saw 9 to 5. Have some fun. It doesn't take that much to. I th- it's like the movie is like over, has overcooked the bond between the women so much that I'm like over scrutinizing it or. Yeah. Nuked th- green tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it's not enjoyable. Bad, bad. <laughs> but I tell you, the silver lining of this whole movie was Dolly Parton. Yeah, again, it's great when the movie like uses her when it realizes that she has kind of like insurgent energy almost. Like there's a part where she like chases Weezer out of a church and she's just like running after her being like, "Tell me about this guy who's parking at your house every night." Um and like I love to see Dolly Parton jog after Shirley MacLaine while she like tries to get get her to spill the tea. I that's that's what I want. I loved seeing Dolly Parton shovel shrimp boil like into vessels for people's consumption at like the holiday fair. Just a fucking like coal shovel of corn and potatoes and shrimp. And shrimp and sausage. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This one has the best food for sure. Definitely. I wrote, how many e- how many eggs had to die for that bit when she closes the trunk on the eggs? So stupid. <laughs> They're all carrying eggs and piling them way too high in the trunk, and it's like the, you telling me these eggs are going to make it to the wedding. Give me a break. 
and then they're hard boiled, so they're like it's not like egg yolk everywhere. It's like egg mush everywhere. Ugh. I don't love movies where like annoying characters are actually annoying. If that makes sense, like Shirley MacLaine. Like Shirley uh, MacLaine and her St. Bernard and just being like, yeah, Weezer's the annoying one. But she's like actually irritating. She just like comes around and is like, fuck you. Here's my loud dog. And Tom <laughs> Skerritt is like, everyone's like, oh, isn't it so annoying that Tom Skerritt's shooting his gun on the day of the wedding? It's like, yeah, it is really loud. It's annoying <laughs> that he keeps doing it. Happy birthday to Dolly Parton. I really sure. enjoyed this category. I did too. These movies were a, a lightness in my life this week and last watching them. Uh, it's good to it's good to look back too. I mean, both to like shake our fingers at things that weren't uh, weren't up to snuff then and should be now, uh, but also just to like see the evolution of comedy in this space and like a funny person like Dolly Parton. You know, in addition to all of her great success in the music industry, uh, is really fun to witness over a period of time. It's pretty cool that in like mostly not in like a sappy Hollywood way. Maybe Steel Magnolias notwithstanding, it's just nice to watch movies where the overriding principle of her persona, optimism, like shines through. Yeah, there is a hope there that if you like grind it out, you know, you'll find the thing you're looking for. Where you might be greeted, perhaps, by the light of a clear blue morning? Oh my. It's been a long, dark night. And I've been waiting for the morning. It's been a long,